The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. As we continue navigating this dark period of our history, it is important to step back, think for ourselves, before we blindly follow everything we see on the news. How do we know if what the media is telling us is true when they are legally authorized to lie? They are government-made news to Americans. What is happening? Is this a true pandemic? Was it planned? A pandemic? What is the end game? Will our economy recover soon? Is this the ultimate manifestation of collectivism? Are we leaving the individual behind for the greater good? You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is someone for whom I have a lot of respect and deference. G. Edward Griffin is a writer and documentary film producer with many successful titles to his credit. Listed in Who's Who in America, he is well known because of his talent for researching difficult topics and presenting them in clear terms that all can understand. He has dealt with such diverse subjects as archaeology and ancient earth history, the Federal Reserve System, and international banking, terrorism, internal subversion, the history of taxation, U.S. foreign policy, and many other topics. His better-known works include The Creature from Jekyll Island, World Without Cancer, and many others. He is the founder and president of the Cancer Cure Foundation and Freedom Force International. We have a more comprehensive bio on our website. His websites are needtoknow.news, redpillexpo.org, and redpilluniversity.org, which are also linked on our website. And after almost 11 years, I'm honored to introduce once again G. Edward Griffin. Hello, Edward, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Well, thank you, Mel. I'm very well. I hope you are also. And uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, you've been in the trenches along with me and a lot of others, for 11 years. That's amazing. 11 years is a fragment of all the decades you have given us with great information. In fact, I was just watching a few days ago, and I watched this interview probably about a few dozen times. Your interview with the former Russian KGB propagandist. Why don't we begin with that, Edward, because I keep telling people for years that communism, not socialism, communism is creeping in the United States. What do you have to say about that? And can we reminisce a bit about, I forgot his name. Uh, well, it's Yuri Besmanov. Besmanov, exactly. 
Why don't we discuss this first? Okay, yeah. It's really interesting about that, Mel, because I recorded that. Oh, I, I've forgotten the date, but it was way back. Way, 1984. Way back. What, what was it? 1984. Hey, that's way Very back. Orwellian. <laughs> Yeah, 1984. I should remember that one. Yeah, um, I was uh, in those days, I was uh, producing shoestring uh, documentaries and uh, on this, that and everything I thought was important. And it was kind of funny because people thought that I was the expert because I was producing the documentaries. But in truth, I was learning as I went. That's how I learned a lot of things by talking to people like Yuri Bezmenov, who was a defector, as you say, from the Soviet Union. Anyway, I was producing one of my documentaries. I've forgotten which one. And I had my camera crew uh, in um, uh, in Washington. It actually, was in Virginia, not too far away. And I knew that uh, Yuri Bezmenov um, was in that general area. So I wanted to get him on camera. I had read his testimony in one of the congressional records or the co- congressional investigative committee reports. And for the benefit of your, your listeners, uh, Yuri was a KGB agent, as we've said, his specialty was to, he worked uh, with the uh, Novosti, uh, the Soviet Novosti, which is their press agency, con- completely controlled news. The Soviets were more straightforward about it. They just controlled it directly by the state. And other countries uh, like ours, for example, they, they control it indirectly through corporations. But it's still the fact is that the media was totally controlled in the Soviet Union. And um, Yuri's job at the time that he defected, well, no, before he defected, let me back up. I don't want to get into too much detail because it's the, the salt and pepper really is, is what he said. But Yuri's job for a long time was to entertain um, journalists and foreign correspondents from around the world, people coming from Australia, India, the United States, Canada, all around the world, they would go visit the Soviet Union and see what life was really like there. I mean, is it really so bad as we've heard, or is it? Are we getting lies and so forth? So they would get a, a permit to come to Moscow, and of course, it was Yuri's job to greet these people as they came, and to entertain them and show them around what they wanted to see. <laughs> well, as he unfolds the story, he says, "My job was to make sure they didn't see anything." Uh, my job was to show them theater, to show them what we wanted them to see, even though it was totally fabricated, so that they would go back and uh, tell the people around the world, hey, this is pretty good over there. And I'll just give you one example before I move along, because w- one of the things where he said, well, first of all, when, when they landed, I would pick them up, take them out and give them a very nice dinner and get them drunk. And he said, my job was to keep them pretty inebriated all the time. They were there so that their mental faculties were not too sharp and they wouldn't ask too many piercing questions and they would probably not have too much energy to to want to go into remote areas. They just want to sleep off their hangovers. And he was quite blunt about it. And he said, but uh, for example, he said that we always took them to see a wedding in a, in a church, a Christian church in Moscow. He said, of course, we never had weddings in Christian churches in Moscow, but we wanted the, the world to think that we did. So we put one on almost every day or at least a couple of times a week just for journalists and visiting dignitaries. Oh, thank you for coming to our wonderful Soviet Union, Republic of Soviet Socialist. You know, uh, wonderful. Here we are, socialism. And let me show you. How would you like to go to a wedding today? 
And, oh, yeah, we'd like to go to where you have a wedding in a church. Oh, yeah, that's all propaganda. They say we don't have weddings. Oh, we'll go to one. <laughs> so they would go to one. And they had a, a, a cast of characters. They had a bride and a groom and all the guests coming to celebrate. They had a priest all dressed up and they do the ceremony that the same couple would get married a couple of times a week. They'd have a, a reception. They'd, they'd pour the champagne, have music and dancing and all the laughter and joy. And it was a whole show. This is an example. This is one of the amazing things that Yuri revealed. And so these journalists would go back and say, oh, everything we've been told about the crackdown on religion in, in Russia, totally false. And they would spread the Soviet propaganda. That was his job. Anyway, he defected. He couldn't take it anymore. He said, uh, and by the way, he came from a very privileged family. His father was a general and they lived. Uh, they were the ruling class. He had everything. He didn't suffer, but he saw the people suffering. He saw the lies. He saw the propaganda and he saw the, the pain and the slavery that was coming out of it because he knew the other side of the story. And he said, I couldn't take it anymore. And so he escaped when he was assigned in India. He dressed up like a hippie and just sort of blended in with all the American hippies that were there. And uh, he came back to the to the United States disguised as a hippie. I guess somebody who lost his passport or something like that. And he got here to the U.S. And anyway, that's when I ran into his story. And so I looked him up and contacted him and invited him to come and and be interviewed in our cameras. And that's how it all began. So that was 1984, as you say. And I got a wonderful interview out of it. But it was so, so shocking to the average person that I felt that it was too much. Nobody would believe it because at that time, everybody was in love with the Soviet Union. And we were trying to you know, reach out to establish partnerships and establish peaceful relations with the world. All the all those slogans, which meant we were not we were not supposed to be too objective or too critical about the Soviets. And so uh, I sort of put that whole interview on the shelf. And I just sat on it for, well, I don't know, I guess 10 years or so. And uh, nobody seemed to be interested in it. And then all of a sudden, about 10 or 15 years later, I started getting calls from people saying, we hear you have an interview with some guy, a Soviet defector, right? I said, yeah, and you're interested. So I was motivated, Mel, to go back to my uh, tapes. We recorded that all on three-quarter inch tape in those days. Fidelity wasn't too great, but it was, it was okay. And uh, I mastered it and uh, put it out as a video and blow me down. All of a sudden, people wanted to buy that video. And we sold a lot, of, a lot of copies in VHS form. And um, and then uh, later on, we converted it to digital. And right now on the Internet, it's kind of a you know, I would almost call it a, a cult film because um, we got it. We had calls from all around the world. One of the game manufacturers, big game manufacturer, wants to contract to be able to use some of the footage out of that in the promotion of their game. And somebody else called me and, and they're doing a documentary on the Beatles, especially while they were in, in India. And uh, Yuri spoke about the Beatles in India and had some rather interesting comments about all of that. And so they wanted to put that in the documentary. So this thing is getting around now. What is this, 1984 to 2020? And it's, uh, it, it's, it's wonderful because not only is it an amazing story, but in it, Yuri describes in minute detail exactly what the steps are for taking over a country from the inside, not by conquering it 
with soldiers and bombs and bayonets, but taking it over by using the people inside the country itself, by converting their minds to the ideology of, well, you said collectivism, or you said socialism and communism, and that's true, but I'll come to that in a second. But in those days, everybody called it communism, and it was. And so he goes through the details of how you soften a country up, and then how you you weaken its morality, weaken its its will to survive, weaken its ability to understand the truth, uh, fill their brains, uh, the kids coming through schools. He said, all we need is one or two generations of kids going through the school system if we can dominate the school system, and we've got it. Well, that was four generations ago, you know, something like that. And so it's over now, folks, and we can see that. Uh, the problems we're facing today, Yuri was describing in his talk, uh, way back in 1984, is it's going to come if we don't stop it. Well, we see it now. He was right. It not only came, but it's here. It passed, actually. So it's an amazing story. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up. And it leads to the second question of why I was waffling on what to call this thing, whether to call it communism, socialism, or what. And I think it's important to know that, at least in my view, Mel, all of these things Communism, socialism, fascism, Nazism, all of these isms, the New Dealism, you know, uh, everything that sort of is soft and to the left and even to the right, the fascism, uh, all of these isms that we have learned to uh, speak uh, down on. And sometimes we fight wars to defeat those regimes. All of these things are merely variants of the same one ideology. And the proper name for that is collectivism. If you peel off the labels, communism, fascism, Nazism, so forth, and you look at what the people believe who are adherents to those uh, philosophies, they're all exactly the same. And once you understand that, you realize that when these countries, say a communist country and a Nazi or a fascist country go to war against each other, it's not because they're fighting over what they believe, because they believe the same, the leaders do. What they're fighting over is dominance. Who's going to run the show? That's all. Who's going to be the top guy? Uh, is it going to be Stalin or is it going to be Hitler? That's all. But they both believe and do the same things. So once you understand that all of these things are merely variants of the one thing called collectivism, then you realize that we've got to stop using those other names because they're confusing and they divide people. We must realize that all of us can understand that collectivism in its native form in its uh, basic form, is uh, our common enemy. And uh, so it, it it pays to understand your enemy. It pays to study them as I have. I didn't. I never thought, started out doing that. I was never a student in thinking I would want to study ideologies or anything like that. But I, I got fascinated when I realized that communism and, and Nazism were the same thing. And so I really got serious. Anyway, I, I probably didn't hit the topic exactly the way you wanted it, but that's how I how I respond to your question, tell the story of Yuri. There's so many facets to it, but Yuri was quite a guy. He risked his life to come out to the to the free world and expose what was going on because he was part of it. And uh, interestingly enough, our own uh, CIA, our own FBI rejected him. They they didn't want him around. They uh, they didn't take care of him. They They didn't support him. They just pretended like he wasn't there. They couldn't argue with anything he said, but they, they kind of ignored them. And Yuri was brokenhearted and very disappointed because he thought that he was doing the West a, a favor by explaining 
you know, the truth about communism. But what he didn't understand was that right in the United States at that time and ever since, we have been growing our own version of collectivism. It's not called communism. It's beginning to be called socialism. But it, those are just names. It, it's collectivism. And we started to build that in World War One. By World War Two, we had we were in full bore gallop on it. And uh, by the time Erie came along, we already had collectivism very firmly installed in the United States. And of course, we certainly have it now. So the agencies of a collectivist regime, regardless of what nation it is, are not going to be happy listening to Yuri Bezmenov's story because it exposes them. Even though it was from another country, what he was talking about are the same tactics and the same ideologies that uh, are being held by the leaders in our country today. So that's why they really don't like Yuri Bezmenov's story. And I was going to ask you, because I know he died very young, at the age of 54 in 1993, just nine years after your interview. You yeah, think he died yeah. of natural causes, or was it more psychological pain that he was suffering? Well, I'll tell you the, the truth. There's no point to cover any of this up, because the truth is the truth is the truth. Uh, Yuri had a drinking problem, because uh, he, had to, he had to drink a lot when he <laughs> was taking all of these uh, journalists around. And he got he got pretty well hooked on booze mm. and he was trying to get off of it. But he it was it was a way he found to relieve the tension and the anxiety that he was going through. And when he was not received by the United States intelligence community, it was kind of shunned. He went back to Canada and he was broken hearted and he worked for a while in the radio station there. I think he worked for a little while for. Radio Free Europe or Free, Free America or something like that uh, as an interpreter and a commentator. But he really was quite brokenhearted and he died of alcohol, uh, alcoholism. Hmm. I can see why you waited before you released that footage, because I'm thinking of 1984, Chernenko, and then immediately after then Gorbachev came along in 1985. And that's when the whole tide started changing. You saw concerts going there. And then the Iron Curtain fell, Berlin, and so yeah. on. If this have happened now, I bet you it would have been received totally differently than what that time would have been. Yeah. Yes. Well, sometimes life is like that. Uh, you sit on sit on the golden egg, and it takes a long time for it to hatch. Very unfortunate. But he left us with some information. I'd like to discuss it with you too. Demoralization, destabilization, crisis, normalization. These are the four pillars of collect. And I'm glad that you're saying collectivism because everything these days is all about the greater good, the greater good, the individual, individual thought. It's almost as people frown upon you if you talk about you and your efforts in trying to make, th make things better without thinking of the collective. Yeah, that's at the heart of it all. The idea that the individual uh, has to be sacrificed if necessary for the greater good of the greater number. That is one of the core principles found that I was talking about, one of the core principles found in all of these ideologies. They're all the same. And that's probably the main one, the, the group versus the individual. And uh, so we could talk about that, but it's, it's a terrible fallacy, as all of the features of collectivism are. But that you've identified it. That is the main one. It's what is the, what is the cornerstone of society? Is it the individual or the group? It's a very important question. The question for me, 
I would. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.